in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last game, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. This week we're going to be looking at the recent events taking place in Northern Ireland and trying to break down what is going on, why is it happening, and kind of what's the atmosphere up like in Belfast at this moment in time. Later on the podcast, we'll be speaking to freelance journalist, writer and broadcaster Amanda Ferguson. Amanda has a stellar career in different forms of media, print and broadcasting, so she'll be able to tell us exactly what's going on up in Belfast at the moment. So we'll be speaking later on in the episode. And it was great to talk to Amanda, because myself and Eve, we are from the south of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, so we don't have lived experience of what it is like to be there. We can only comment so much, really on factually what's happening so it's great to talk to Amanda to get that real insight into what is actually happening. Yeah exactly like Amy said like I'm from Meath, Amy's from Sligo, two very different points of views like I was I was one when the Good Friday Agreement was signed so that the Good Friday Agreement was signed 23 years ago in 1998 actually on the 10th of April so it's only only a few only a few days ago it was his its anniversary so I think as well Amanda's going to give us a deeper insight into what's going on but I suppose before we get into that kind of what are the nooks and crannies of kind of what led up to I suppose the pinnacle of violence which we saw last Thursday with the petrol bomb I think a lot of people saw if they didn't there was a video that was circulating online of a petrol bomb thrown into a double-decker bus and thankfully the bus driver got out alive but I suppose this caused for major concern after a number of days of rioting where both the Irish and Westminster governments along with the politicians and storm out that kind of this is a huge issue so Amy kind of when did the riots begin because we like I said like Thursday was kind of the pinnacle in which kind of we got the big political reaction as well yeah, so most people are pointing to like the start of the riots being the 29th of March. So that was when a petrol bomb was thrown at a police vehicle when police were trying to disperse a crowd of about 40 people. And there was also like a number of other items like wooden planks, iron bars that were seized at the gathering. And this was in the Tullymore Road area of the city, which if you're not familiar with the city of Derry, it's kind of more protestant heavy area so that was kind of what it all kicked off and it just kind of really escalated from there from tuesday there was more petrol bombs thrown in the same place that wednesday more petrol bombs were thrown at the same area and it was kind of what was really sad to see was like a lot of youth god youths i feel like a granny saying that teenagers were involved (laughs) in this writing which is like really sad to see there was a 17 year old boy arrested on wednesday the 31st of march which is just like really sad because like what you were saying there, Neve, like you were one when the Good Friday Agreement was signed. Like a lot of these guys were not born when the Good Friday Agreement was signed. And it's just really sad to see the violence kind of continue on like that. And yeah, it just kind of kept escalating from there. You know, Thursday saw more petrol bombs. Friday, um, 12 policemen were actually injured in Derry. And on Friday, we kind of started to see, Friday the 2nd of April, we started to see the violence move outside Derry into Belfast, where 100 people gathered in Belfast in a kind of like loyalist area. And there was a riot there. And then in Ballymena, another Protestant area, there was another crowd gathering there. And this kind of all kept escalating and escalating until uh, that Thursday when you 
but you referenced Neve that there was on, on Wednesday even sorry is when it happened and Thursday it broke in the media Wednesday the 7th of yes, April right. the police officers were attacked and petrol bombs were thrown at a hijacked bus in Belfast and you know police were saying that this rioting was not they haven't seen it on this scale in Northern Ireland in years and like rioting happens in the north it happens everywhere you know yeah. like to a certain extent but just the extent of this was just getting more and more intense and it was also starting to kind of get nationalist elements so up until this point so we're kind of saying a lot of this were happening in protestant majority areas and they were kind of it was being claimed by loyalist groups uh, so people who aren't familiar with how society in Northern Ireland is compromised loyalists are kind of broadly defined and like these terms like you know it's kind of up for question on what the concrete definitions of them are but loyalists are kind of defined as people who have British identity they identify as British and they believe like Northern Ireland should remain as part of the United Kingdom and but they also have a paramilitary element to it whereas unionists are people who would you know have a British identity but they don't identify with that paramilitary 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 aspect of it and then nationalists are people who have an Irish identity and we saw on like Thursday night that nationalists started partaking in these riots and it started to take on a sectarian element of it which was again like really sad to watch I think people have seen the pictures on social media of loads of teenagers at the peace walls which are yeah. physical structures that they put up between Protestant majority and Catholic majority areas like breakdown and it just was yeah, it was really, really sad to see all that happen. I suppose as well, like for those of us like who hadn't experienced the violence that, you know, happened in the era of the Troubles, it's not to equate what happened there, but I think it's just a fine of like for our generation anyway to kind of realise that the tensions are high. And I suppose there's a lot of reasons as to kind of why those tensions have escalated in the past few days and especially but I suppose the main one to kind of that everyone has been talking about is the Northern Ireland Protocol it was negotiated with the UK government and with and along with the EU during Brexit it, it was negotiated in October of 2019 this was when Boris Johnson you know he was Prime Minister he just a reminder for people he took over the leadership from Theresa May in June of that of that same year so he was very firmly you know sitting comfortably in 10 Downing Street at that time so basically, the Northern Ireland Protocol is replaced the backstop, which was the proposal provided for the UK as a whole to have a common customs territory with the EU until we had a solution, which would then avoid for like customs controls, EU and UK borders. And I suppose like one of the biggest issues with the Brexit negotiations was, you know, the thoughts of a hard border on the island of Ireland coming back. And I suppose that was a huge issue. Essentially, the Northern Ireland Protocol brings in checks and customs controls and goods entering Northern Ireland from Great Britain. So it does put that line across, you know, the the two different jurisdictions within the United Kingdom. And it also means that Northern Ireland is also no longer legally in the EU Customs Union, but it still remains an entry point into it, which in result leads to the Irish Sea border. And I think that's the main difference that people have because like there was the backstop under Theresa May's government that was like we don't want that and now there's Northern Ireland protocol a lot of people are like are they not kind of the same thing Uh, but the Northern Ireland backstop so the original one wanted the whole of the UK to stay within the customs territory of the EU so there wouldn't essentially be any border but it was kind of like the UK wasn't it, it didn't feel like that hard Brexit of like the UK actually leaving it which um obviously people in Ireland and nationalists were happy with but unionist community in Northern Ireland and the DUP who are the majority party in Stormount a unionist party they were 
not happy with it. So they this Northern Ireland protocol was renegotiated out, but that meant that Northern Ireland had to be obviously not legally part of the yeah. EU customs union, but there would need to be some checks then because it's like it's a point. So it's kind of like, ooh, like a bit confusing, but it is. It's just like an entry point. There needs to be not the same extent, but some need to be there. Yeah, and it's due to last until 2024, and it can be renewed if it has been successful every four years, but with democratic consent in Northern Ireland. That's kind of where we were, and I suppose we saw, you know, a lot of people call them the teething issues of Brexit, like... Anyone in a, any in the Republic anyway, there's, you know, been so many t- talks of like businesses and even just people who've, you know, voted to online shopping with COVID and everything. Huge issues with regards to delays and deliveries and, you know, import issues and so on. But I suppose as well, kind of the first really big issues was back in February when there was issues at the port in Belfast, you know, there were threats and intimidations for the port workers and then, you know, they were told to go home and not to work because of their safety. And this caused a huge issues because obviously goods have to be checked coming into Northern Ireland from from Great Britain so this caused issues kind of like already that disconnection from you know from the union I I guess it's like that disconnect connection from the rest of like the island of the UK that there is a difference even though like unless you're uh, have a business that's affected by it wouldn't really feel it economically but it's more like that there is there is a difference between how those territories are being treated and like there had even been you know during this time like the police had warned that there was a lot of discontent within loyalist communities which was growing over the protocol and then you know you even had you know a north antrim mp ian paisley who condemned the threats that said this was bound to cause the problems with brexit and that seems to be like everyone came out and condemned it but people are quick to say that oh this is because of the northern ireland protocol but the dup they voted in line with a hard brexit they voted in line with boris johnson and the tory mps they wanted a hard brexit and this was negotiated in the brexit that they wanted so people who wanted a hard brexit and wanted you know to remain within the united kingdom and you know out of the eu single market the customs market this is what it's it's not as simple as it is for scotland and wales at least they're they all remain on the same island. So it, it was just, there was a huge switch from, you know, from unionist MPs saying, we want Brexit. Yes, this Brexit will be good for us to, oh, well, this is the Northern Ireland protocol, even though it was negotiated mm-hmm. by the man who they voted to push, you know, the man who they have trusted in charge, which was Boris Johnson. The fact that this was happening in February, I should state that there, there was absolutely no information to substantiate or corroborate any claims that loyalist paramilitaries or organisations were involved in the threats and intimidations towards the staff who were carrying out the post-Brexit checks in the ports in Belfast and in Larne. And I guess it's kind of like, while there is no, you know, like there is no evidence to exactly what group or if it was any group of people that was coordinating this, it does point to that there was unhappiness and unrest in between that. And I guess people can talk about like, oh, like trade, like why do people like care so much? But I guess, you know, the, the feelings of this ill treatment are very real to people in the North. Yeah, and like there has been kind of more talks of United Ireland, I suppose, like most people have heard of or even watched or saw clips of Claire Byrne Live on RTE1 did a whole debate on the possibility of a, a United Ireland and, you know, doing a border poll within the years. And you kind of saw we had, you know, DUP, MLA, Gregory Campbell say that people were living in a fantasy land and this was never going to happen. We are part of the United Kingdom. You know, we heard from other people who identify not as Irish or British, but as Northern Ireland. It was just really interesting. But I suppose... If you're a unionist and you're hearing about these these talks of a possible United Ireland and even the thoughts of possibly a border poll, I can only imagine that this would cause a lot of, you know, unwarranted feelings of, you know, leaving 
the, the United Kingdom. Absolutely. And again, you like this, a lot of this conversation is prompted by the Northern Ireland census that is just happening now. I guess it's important as well to highlight that the only thing that would prompt Northern Ireland to leave the United Kingdom is a constitutional referendum that can only happen under the Good Friday Agreement if the Secretary for Northern Ireland believes that it has a good chance of passing. That, it, you know, like all this talk and it does come down to that. But I guess having, you know, the senses and being like, oh, will the figures change? Are there people that identify more as nationalists, identify more as Catholic? It's it's a time of uncertainty, you know, for people with a unionist and loyalist identities or people who identify as British in Northern Ireland. And I think this is it's just like this melting pot of, you know, the Northern Ireland protocol, this kind of yeah. um, census coming up. And then, of course, a lot of people, what are pointing to um, another triggering event is the Bobby Story funeral verdict. So Bobby Story was a very prominent figure in Sinn Féin and the IRA during the Troubles. He was the head of intelligence for the IRA during like the mid 90s. He was just a huge figure within the nationalist community. So he passed away in June of 2020. And it was there was a huge funeral. This was in the height of the COVID-19 crisis. And this was just after Northern Ireland announced restrictions. Funeral numbers were greatly reduced. Uh, one of the people present at the funeral was Michelle O'Neill, who is the Deputy First Minister. And there was an investigation launched into seeing was there COVID regulations basically breached during this funeral. The PSNI, who was the police force in Northern Ireland, did an investigation into it. and They found that they couldn't uphold that the regulations were broken for various reasons. They pointed to that, like the law on COVID is changing all the time. It's very difficult to have like a burden, like the evidence burden of proof. But this obviously contributed to the feeling of, you know, loyalists and unionists feeling marginalized in Northern Ireland, that their voices maybe weren't being heard. And it's like all these reasons seemed to just like contribute to this simmering of just, I guess anger and fear yeah. and it's that kind of presented themselves in these riots exactly and like even after that Arlene Foster she called for Chief Constable Simon Byrne to resign saying his uh, position was untenable and um, but he then he said in response he would not resign uh, added that no deals were done with organizer of the funerals because um and we'll get into this later with Amanda but this like you said Amy it just made people who were already feeling marginalized just kind of escalate those feelings and I suppose also it's it is important to note as well that Arlene Foster did launch a legal challenge against the Northern Pro- Protocol as part of the EU Brexit deal. She is quoted saying, alongside the pl- political action we've been taking, we have considered a number of legal routes and will be joining other unionists from across the United Kingdom in judicial review proceedings to challenge the protocol unless arrangements are put in place which are consistent with the Act of the Union 1800, the Northern Ireland Act of 1998 and the Belfast Agreement. So there we have it. We have the DUP leader is calling for the chief constable, Simon Byrne, to resign. And then she's also uh, pressing forward with a legal challenge, which has been, you know, the SDLP's uh, column Eastwood. He has come out against what she's doing with regard to that. It's just very, very escalation. You know, loyalists and unionists feel that the Sh- that Sinn Féin got away with it. And they're, yet they're still suffering the brunt of Brexit, which the DUP did vote for. That's the thing. I they voted in line with that. Now, Michelle O'Neill did come out and apologise for what she did and was very, and did say she would be, you know, she was there for questioning by the PSNI if needed and so on. So 
that's where we were kind of going into the end of March when all this happened. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of the scene set there to why the potential reasons of this happening. But yeah, we spoke to Amanda to get a more detailed insight into what's actually been happening. And here's what she had to say. So we're joined now by freelance journalist, writer and broadcaster Amanda Ferguson, who is based in Belfast and has been doing around the clock coverage of the recent events occurring in Belfast. Um, so Amanda, first of all, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, you're actually our first guest on the Pauline Station podcast. So really, oh, thank, thank you. Thank That's you so much. Thank you. Glad um, to be here. So basically, what, what's been happening since last Thursday? How What's been going on in Belfast and how how are how, how are people reacting since then well it started a wee bit earlier than that actually up in the northwest the violence uh sort of street violence first uh, started up there and then it moved um to to sort of other areas around belfast and newton abbey and other many sort of uh, unionist and loyalist areas uh, and then I think it captured most people's attention when it stopped just being police being attacked and there became like a sectarian element to it. I think whenever it moved up to the interface uh, at Lanark Way in Belfast, that that's when it became something that the British government and the Irish government and the US administration uh, and perhaps uh, Stormont leaders sort of started taking a bit more seriously because of the potential for what that could mean and because we haven't seen rioting for a little while. Um, I know that the, the water cannon was used for the first time in six years. Um, I think the last time I covered rioting was maybe in 2018, uh, but the last sort of major episodes of rioting were probably around the Union flag protests around 2012-2013. And um, how different is the, is the violence that was seen uh, last week? Is that different to what was seen 20 years ago or is it the same what 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 do you think it, it is different to an extent you know i know that um it can often be whenever you're talking about uh violence in northern ireland or the north however you describe you know my, my part of the world is that there's a tendency anything anytime anything happens for people to be oh oh it's going to go back to the troubles it's nowhere near that you know um it's not as if this is happening on every street corner or in every area it's happening in, in limited locations and certainly it's very uh, depressing and distressing and worrying and it's not something we want to see and particularly not something we want our young people involved with as well we don't want our young people being criminalized but as I'm sure you've probably discovered over the last period the, there's a range of, of reasons why we saw the violence unfolding and um what are, are, are any of those reasons like are they different to what say in the Republic we we thought they could have been you know we've heard a lot of talk talk of being about with regards to you know the Bobby Story um verdict uh funeral verdict along with the Northern Ireland protocol are they kind of the two two main reasons that see well, I don't know there's kind of there's probably about a dozen things that are feeding into it I'll give you the highlights and then you can ask me about whatever you want um there's a lot of insecurity about the future so I think there because of the change in demographics and political landscape of Northern Ireland I think that's causing concern um I think that Northern Ireland looks very different to it did you know 100 years ago this is the centenary year it's very different from how it looked 50 years ago 30 years ago 20 years ago um, and I think that causes unease I think the tensions have been building for weeks around the Brexit protocol um I don't really call it the Northern Ireland protocol anymore I call it the Brexit protocol because it wouldn't exist if Brexit didn't exist um and certainly there's an acknowledgement that um there's a need to finesse the protocol and there's a need definitely to make it more pragmatic and workable for businesses so it doesn't sort of seem 
you know, ridiculous to an extent, but it's been sort of viewed by some people as like a slippery slope to an economic United Ireland. And we know that there's a lot of perceptions around this rather than sort of hard facts and, and reality. The, the Brexit protocol is an international agreement that was agreed between the UK government um, and the EU. Uh, you know, it doesn't anywhere near put uh, uh, an economic United Ireland in place. We know that Brexit has caused uh, the two jurisdictions in Ireland, in Ireland to diverge in a number of areas. And also, whenever we're talking about the constitutional position of Northern Ireland, the only way that ever changes is if the people vote for it in a border poll. There's no other way to do it other than that. So it's not as if you can be, um, you know, it, there's some sort of tricky backdoor way to United Ireland. It has to be something that's voted for. Now, there are certainly, uh, while there's some sort of perceptions and, and sort of not uh, things that are not grounded in reality, the distress that it's causing to unionists and loyalists across the board is very real. Uh, they're unhappy about Northern Ireland being treated differently as they see it to other parts of the of the UK. Uh, and certainly that's you know something that's felt in working class and middle class uh, communities, loyalist communities, political classes, you know, party leaders of all the, the unionist uh, parties. They're really unhappy with that. Now, you know, it doesn't look as if uh, you know there's going to be any movement as such, but I do know there seems to be a lot of work underway to try um, and sort of find solutions to the problems that exist uh, with that. So that's kind of a little insight into that. Um, the PPS decision not to prosecute um, 24 Sinn Féin members, including the Deputy First Minister Michelle O'Neill, uh, over their attendance at the June 2020 funeral of, of IRA man Bobby Story, um, it has been significant. Um, you know, it was something that happened sort of nine months ago. But what, what we had uh, the week before was the week before last. I'm losing track of days. Was the the PPS announcement that they weren't going to prosecute? Now the police recommended prosecution, but the PPS felt that um, the evidential test couldn't be met. Now there were two different grounds that the PPS suggested were reasons for a reasonable excuse defence. One was. Uh, that the COVID laws, the regulations and law at the time was so incoherent and it changed so many times. You know, I think the last one was 11 p.m. the night before the funeral that a reasonable excuse defence could be raised in that circumstance. And they also said a second but separate um, issue, which could be a reasonable excuse defence, was that the organisers of, of the funeral had engaged with the police. So the anger from unionist politicians you know, although they still remain angry with Sinn Féin over it, it, it moved then to the Chief Constable Simon Byrne and the anger was directed at him and there were calls for him to resign and the PPS director to resign uh, and all that sort of thing. So there was a lot of very angry um, political discourse, a lot of very angry commentary, um, perhaps a bit careless. Um, I think that there's been poor political leadership and it's not so much that... Um, you know, unionist politicians were saying to people, you know, go out and riot, but they were sort of rejecting the sort of senior level of policing um, and perhaps people who were already itching to get involved in violence used that as their justification, although there's no um, justification for the, the scenes that we're seeing on the streets. Other things include um, criminal and paramilitary elements being involved uh, in the violence because perhaps they're recent activities around drugs and other things have been disturbed. So that's played into it. Um, we know that there are some sort of claims and, and uh, thoughts that there's two-tier policing in Northern Ireland. The loyalist community are feeling that. Um, but, you know, you could hear the same thing from Republicans, from Black Lives Matter um, demonstrators, from feminist demonstrators, um, you know, anti-vaxxers, like the, you know, 
everybody seems to be annoyed with the police at the moment um, and some of it justified uh, but some of it obviously not and nobody deserves to be uh, attacked while they're working. I think also social deprivation plays into it, uh, lockdown fatigue, um, children being groomed by adults to or encouraged to be involved in violence and I think there's a little element of, of what we refer to as recreational rioting, it's a bit of, bit of sport sometimes for some people and I think the social segregation has fed into to a lot of this as well. So it's a really complicated, toxic melting pot of loads of different factors that have brought us to to what to the scenes that we've seen unfolding over the last couple of weeks. And what's the atmosphere been like in Belfast now? Are people, is, is, is it starting to kind of calm down? I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, is it starting to kind of just ease off a bit now or are people still well, feeling the unrest just... Well, there's still all the issues that were there before this started remain. Uh, we know that um, the community workers and faith leaders and youth workers and parents and you know a whole pile of different people have been down on the front line trying to encourage children away from violence and, and move them away from that. Uh, we know that the Duke of Edinburgh dying um, uh, has had an impact because um, he would obviously be an important figure within the unionist and loyalist community. So we saw sort of social media posts and banners or posters going up saying, you know, no protests or whatever, um, you know, out of respect for the for the Queen and for the royal family. Uh, so that's played into it a little bit. But you know, there was a little after that, there was a little bit of violence in an interface um, area, which led to a number of police officers being injured. But it wasn't perhaps as serious as some of the rioting earlier in the week that had happened in Lanark Way and, and other parts. So Saturday was quiet, Sunday, and now we're at the start of a new week. And there's a sense, you know, it, will it restart after? Uh, the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. Uh, are we in for a very long summer? Um, you know, could it restart at any moment, or is that us done? You know, I am of the view that I have concerns that if this matter isn't taken seriously uh, by the politicians and by everybody with influence and by the British and Irish governments as well, that you know that that's a deeply concerning move. I think that you've seen calls in recent days for British-Irish intergovernmental conference. You've seen uh, calls for the. The, the sort of two co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement to take this really seriously and to get involved. Um, there's a sense that that's needed. And perhaps you've seen a little more sort of conciliatory language and cooler heads from some of the politicians in the North, um, perhaps being a bit more measured in the language that they've used. We know that um, there were unionist politicians were welcoming of comments from, from Sinn Féin from the SDLP over the Duke of Edinburgh's passing. So there seems to be, you know, like up to that point, there was just a lot of angry um, sort of blame game stuff that wasn't really useful to anybody. So it's it's unclear what's going to happen next. Like I would be delighted if I never had to talk about rioting in, in the North or in Belfast ever again, but um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens, I suppose. But, you know, it's like, it's not, Belfast isn't on fire. You know, it's not going back to the way it was in the 60s or the 70s or 80s or 90s. You know, you can, you know, if you're in, in some sort of leafy middle-class uh, area, you could, if this hasn't affected you in any one way. You could, if you weren't following the news and you switched off social media, it, it hasn't made much of an, an impact on your day-to-day -day business. It's not like it's happening on every street corner. And we know that the, the helicopter in the sky has kind of been the soundtrack uh, to the north for most of our lives. Well, for mine anyway, and I'm in my early 40s. Um, so, yeah, it's people People are, are concerned, certainly, and they're, they're right to be concerned. Um, but, you know, as ever, most people in the north are, are peace-loving and uh, just want the best for, for all communities. So hopefully there's a bit of 
sense and, and perhaps some of the diversionary stuff around young people will help and you know it should be acknowledged that it isn't just young people who are involved in this and it isn't just necessarily the people that are from the areas who are engaged in the violence you know people are, are coming in from other areas to be involved in it um and I, I just feel sort of bad for the young people who are be who are encouraged into it i feel sorry for anybody who's being attacked over it a poor, poor police dog was injured as well which was a bit of a low light and um yeah, you know, just the communities where the violence is taking place as well. Like people just want to get on with their lives. So uh, hopefully all of the sort of issues that I've highlighted that are feeding into this can can hopefully be addressed in, in the correct manner. And uh, we don't see too much more of this, but, you know, it could be a it could be a long summer if it's not tackled properly. Like, yeah. And do you think that, um, you know, people are feeling le left behind by their constituents in Stormont, you know, by the, you know, by the unionists, um, uh, with the DUP or you know by the nationalists within Sinn Féin like do people in general just feel disconnected to what's well, actually going on to a certain extent there is you know like the the unionist and loyalist community feel betrayed by the British government and by Boris Johnson and um, there seems to be a disconnect between the political um elected representatives and the loyalist community they feel left behind you know there are maybe uh, concerns or perceptions around um, you know, the, the peace dividend that they feel as if um, that the loyalist community hasn't received its sort of fair share in comparison to the nationals community or Republicans. And also, I think a lot of this is like, you know, I've, I've heard commentary about people talking about, you know, our, our area gets nothing and their area gets everything. And it's, it's not always grounded in reality because the, the thing that sort of the I always think about most is that the people who are engaged in fighting with each other to an extent probably have more in common than they do with anybody that's up at Stormont. So um, there's certainly a lot of a lot of issues there, and you know around the around the sort of um, the idea that we have peace walls. Like I think the description peace walls is terrible. It's like the worst name thing possible. You know, it's gates and walls and physical structures that separate communities, some of which went up after the Good Friday Agreement. So there's certainly a lot to do um, in the peace in the peace process, sort of reconciliation side of things and around communities not being fearful of each other's identities or and living together peacefully. And I think probably a lot of people have mentioned um, if, if children were educated together from the start. Uh, this may not be such an issue as well, but you know, as I said, it's, there's loads of stuff that sort of feeds into what's happening. And just the final question then, um, what can we do to kind of ease any tensions, especially us as you know people in the Republic? What can we do to kind of do we need to have a better understanding, or what what needs to be done to kind of ease any tensions and kind of hope that last Thursday's events don't reoccur? Well, I don't think that that mis I don't think misunderstanding or 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 being ignorant or not fully understanding what's happening um in the north um you know it's not it's not a one way street it works the other way as well that perhaps some northerners don't understand uh, southern politics uh, uh, you know the I think that um it, I, I've noticed in my journalism working I work as a Northern Ireland correspondent um as a Northern correspondent depending on the outlet as an Ireland stringer as well so I'm sort of having an eye on Dublin and London uh, and internationally and what's happening in Belfast and you know we are all learning about each other and you know the, there are unique relationships there I think that uh I think the governments really need to get involved I think that the the Good Friday agreement provides for all of the northern you know, institutions and all the structures, but there's also a lot of east-west 
relationships. I think a lot of the East-West relationships and the implementation of, of what was agreed in the Good Friday Agreement hasn't been fulfilled really. And that sort of uh, involvement between the two governments. And I think that's been damaged a lot by Brexit as well, because British-Irish relations have been built up over a number of years. And, you know, even the, even the royal family and royal visits have played into all that and, you know, how we all view each other and, and learn about each other. Uh, but certainly it feels like there is a need um, for a bit of... Uh, it's almost like, you know, the parents getting involved. Um, it, it does feel as if there needs to be a bit of sort of guardianship and uh, the two governments need to get involved because there's a lot, you know, there's so much um, distress out there. You know, the distress, the, whatever about the, the the reality or the perceptions, like the distress is real uh, among some people. So that does need to be addressed. Um, and I think that the political leadership in the North uh, needs to improve. I don't think that... The, the last couple of weeks, you know, the, the politicians, uh, particularly on the unionist side, have really covered themselves in glory. You know, you have to remember that the words have can have consequences. Um, and I think that uh, hopefully we can see the politicians just, you know, being a bit more chilled out about things and just trying to talk through any problems because nobody's going anywhere. You know, like I've said this before, that um, no matter what happens about the future, of this place you know some people here will be irish some will be british some will be both some will be neither um and you know those identities have to be respected you know it, it, just because you don't share them doesn't mean that they, that they aren't respected and you know the, the difference is fine being a unionist is fine being a republican is fine i just wish that we were a bit more relaxed about it all and i am particularly encouraged when i talk to younger people about this because you know, while there is sort of sectarianism among some young people, which obviously has to come from people of my generation or older, because where else are they going to learn it? Um, that there's a lot of really sort of openness and really good relationships and not really uh, a life that's overly consumed by our, the conflict of the past. Um, and, you know, it has to be remembered that um, it, it's a minority of young people that are involved in what's been happening in the last couple of weeks. And many of those who are involved need a lot of uh, support as well I think. So that was Amanda Ferguson freelance journalist broadcaster and writer in Northern Ireland. If you want to follow Amanda on Twitter it's at Amanda F Belfast and also check out any articles she wrote a really long form article cohesive gives you all the details on her website which is amanda.ie so I would recommend you check her out to kind of give a deeper insight as to what is going on. She made a lot of interesting points and I think it definitely gives us as people in the Republic anyway, a deeper insight into what is going on, what needs to be done and kind of why people, why this has kind of happened. Because we can only say so much again because we don't live there. It's all our lived experience. But I think like really a great point that you touched on there was just that the disconnect, I guess, that people are feeling from the politicians that are, you know, representing them, that they just don't feel like their views are being represented. And I love what she said about that like the people who are actually conducting the riots between the nationalist and the loyalist side probably have more in common than the people that represent them in Stormount and it's just really yeah it's just really interesting to hear what really needs to be done by politicians to prevent this from happening I suppose as well Amy like you were saying like we haven't seen I think particularly in Westminster and also in Dublin as well the politicians coming out as much you know Boris Johnson and Michal Martin did have a discussion following last week's events to kind of initiate kind of better dialogue, I suppose, between all three parliaments. And Simon Coveney is due to go to London as well for a two-day visit uh, to discuss this with the British ministers. Obviously, this, this meeting is going to be rescheduled in the like of the Duke of Edinburgh's uh, death. But 
there will be a lot of I suppose, meetings and kind of dialogues going on as well. We did see, you know, Boris Johnson, he did condemn it on Thursday and on what Michal Martin, and Simon Coveney, Brandon Lewis, who's the Secretary for Northern Ireland in Westminster. But I, I, I don't know. They just, it's, 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 is, is it enough? That's the thing. Is it like, enough? What... And it's, it's kind of like, do, oh, I hate to say it, but do Boris Johnson's words carry enough weight? Particularly when he promised unionists that he would not put a border in the Irish Sea. Yeah, Amy, that's the thing. Like he said that and there was actually a clip circulating on Twitter in and around the time and it was highlighted by LBC's James O'Brien about what Boris Johnson said with regards to Northern Ireland and what a Conservative government wouldn't do. So have a listen. Fabric of the Union with regulatory checks and even customs controls between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. If we genuinely wanted to do free trade deals, if we wanted to cut tariffs, on, as we should, by the way, on food from, uh, to make food cheaper for our people, for, from sub-Saharan Africa or whatever, if we wanted to vary our regulation, then we would have to leave Northern Ireland behind as an economic semi-colony of the EU. And we would be damaging the fabric of the Union with regulatory checks and even customs controls between Great Britain and Northern Ireland on top of those extra regulatory checks down the Irish Sea that are already envisaged in the withdrawal agreement. Now, I have to tell you, no British Conservative government could or should sign up to any such arrangement. So there you go. There's, it's, they just don't seem to have a grasp, Westminster, on the severity of the issue. You know, and I don't think Boris Johnson is not the first Tory MP, not the first, sorry, even Westminster MP to do it. You know, I think... Back into that in January two thousand nineteen, we saw now the UK Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab. He was before a Northern Ireland committee. You know, at the time he was Brexit Secretary and was involved in the negotiations. And he was asked, "Did you read the Good Friday Agreement?" Now, the Good Friday Agreement is obviously crucial. It's the corner, it's a- cornerstone of Northern Ireland politics. Simple as exactly. And even if you like. Even if you're not totally in, you know, if you don't know everything about Northern Ireland politics, if even being a part of British politics, which most people would consider as Northern Ireland politics, you should know about the Good Friday Agreement. It was such a consequential piece of legislation, um, agreement that would kind of came after decades of violence. And But during this Northern Ireland committee, he was asked, had he read it? And he admitted that he didn't. And this is a 35 page document and he was Brexit secretary and he's now UK Foreign Secretary, you'd think. And he said, oh, it's not like a novel where you sit down and you know what, over the holidays, this is a cracking read. But you would think this is his portfolio uh, of work that he Dominic, would sign up it's to your it. job. It's your job, Dominic. Like, you are literally the secretary for, you know, Brexit negotiations. Brexit is so, you know, like, whether it was a key issue in the campaigning for Brexit when it was actually leave or stay, is a different issue and is its own issue entirely. But during the negotiations with the EU, it became incredibly clear how consequential Northern Ireland was going to be for the success or failure of Brexit. And Dominic, you need to read up on it. And he didn't. Exactly. And that goes for any MP who was going to feel that, whether it was going to be a Labour government or under Jeremy Corbyn or the fact that we have, it doesn't matter. You have to look after that. And these are people who, you know, loyalists and unionists, if they hear this, I can't imagine they'd be too impressed. I mean, you, you know, like it, it, that is your government that is talking about you. 
like you have a British identity and to hear, you know, like a minister kind of dismiss your political history. It's 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 not nice. It's, it's I can imagine it's a horrible feeling. And just like the loyalists and unionists do not feel supported by Westminster, you know, as Amanda said, feeding into kind of the melting pot of tensions there. And especially when Amanda touched on it, when she talked about the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement, Mm -hmm. there's like loads of stuff was set up, you know, to kind of ensure that Northern Ireland was supported during this time. There was like three strands set up. One was to just deal with the Democratic Institutions of Northern Ireland, which is like Northern Ireland Assembly and Executive. There was a second strand that was like North-South, which was dialogue between the North of Ireland and the South of Ireland. And then there was another one set up, which is East-West, like Amanda was talking about. So that's the issues kind of created between Ireland and the UK. And that included stuff like the Irish-British Intergovernmental Conference, which replaced the Anglo-Irish Intergovernmental Council and Intergovernmental Conference. And that was just basically like a forum to like talk regularly, frequent meetings between British and Irish ministers, promote cooperation. And that there was also the British-Irish Council that was made up of ministers from British and Irish governments, as well as Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, also areas like Isle of Man, to kind of promote this dialogue, make sure Northern Ireland felt supported. And you can't help but feel that Northern Ireland has fallen further and further down Westminster's priorities that these institutions are just not being fostered. They're not being given the time that is really needed to ensure the stability of dialogue between the East and the West. Like the dialogue, like you said, it's so crucial. We even saw like, you know, the night of Arlene Foster had tweeted out, you know, she retweeted the video and she said, and I quote, this is not a protest. This is vandalism and attempted murder. These actions do not represent unionism or loyalism. They are an embarrassment to Northern Ireland and only serve to take the focus off the real lawbreakers in Sinn Féin. My thoughts are with the bus driver. So we're talking about dialogue and you want Westminster to step up and, you know, take ownership and take responsibility. The same has to be done with with Stormont and, of course, with Dublin. So that that wasn't helpful what she said. No, people are pointing to, you know, like dialogue like that, that is just so counterproductive, that is fanning the flames of violence there. But then, you know, there's also politicians of the South that are very quiet on it. Leo Radker yeah. didn't comment on it. And Leo Radker is in the unique position where we know he is going to be Taoiseach in a couple of years, which is like, that's never happened before. And to remain quiet on that issue, it that's not helpful either. That there needs to be that dialogue between the two and like not this crazy disconnect that is silence on one side and then I guess uh, just really unproductive finger pointing on the other side. And I suppose Aoife Moore, uh, you know, she's a political correspondent with the Irish Examiner. You know, she's from Derry and she tweeted out a very valid point with regards to, you know, we often hear in, in, the, in the doll, you know, references being made to the North and how governance is done in the North. And basically, are politicians just using that when it's necessary in terms of politics or do they genuinely care about what's going up in the north? Because you often hear when the opposition, primarily Sinn Féin, are criticising some sort of policy and the gov- one of the government TDs, now both Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar, it doesn't rely solely on either. Um, no. They've, bo- they've both said, they've both referred to something that goes on in Stormont. Yeah, you do. I think she made a very valid point you know, people do have to come down and the majority of um of government TDs did come out. I think it's also important as we did see as well over in the United States who have always been an integral part in the Good Friday Agreement. You know, Joe Biden has always said that 
he's very much, I suppose, where Ireland is in a very fortunate position where he, his heritage is, you know, he's, everyone was kind of freaking out when he said, the, the BBC were like, oh, do an interview. And he was like, no, I'm Irish. And, you know, we saw the Brexiteers like Nigel Farage freaking out that this is the end. But I suppose he has that connection with his heritage and, and it's very important to him. And we even saw his white, the White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, say, as we mark the 23 years since the Belfast slash Good Friday Agreement, the US continues to support political and economic stability and a voice for all communities in Northern Ireland. We urge a respectful path that enables all to enjoy the security and prosperity of hard-worn peace. So it's still, it's another important voice that I think people need to be aware of as well. Absolutely. And, you know, having said all that, we saw some really productive dialogue in the wake of the death of the Duke of Edinburgh, where condolences from Sinn Féin were really positively received by unionist groups. And it is like, you know, that kind of respect of people that do have just different identities on this island and just like making sure that they are, you know, seen and heard and valued and even like touching on from that um white house release that people feel like economically supported like as amanda said you know there's some people that feel left behind by the government economically like so much can be done by just like fostering people's just futures that they feel like they have a stake in society and even like what was Amanda saying like educating them together I know like me and Eve had some really interesting conversations about our own knowledge of the north I'm from Sligo which is not a northern county where I don't have a border with it, but we're about 40 minutes from the north. And like I was saying to Neve that when I was in school, there was like cross-border initiatives that like you would go up to a school in the north, they would come down to our schools and you would like talk it and stuff like that. And what Amanda was saying about, you know, like educating kids together, not othering the other community, exactly. the other identity is so important. So, so important. important. It's, it's just the fact that like I didn't... We didn't do that in my school. It just wasn't a thing that was done. I don't think any of my friends who are like majority, you know, Leinster based. So nowhere near a border county even. And it's just that dialogue needs to happen. And I think as well, Amanda made the valid point that it's not just the children. Like there are parents and, you know, older relatives or friend, family friends who are encouraging this. So to say that you know we do see a lot of dialogue that it's oh these 13 and 14 and like you said Amy even the 17 year old who was arrested but this has to stem from somewhere like people don't grow people aren't born with these feelings these feelings you know they aren't born with you know wanting to cause harm or so it's just it has to come from somewhere and I think like you said this education and not othering is possibly one of the most um, impactful tools that they can have in the future. And I think like in the age of social media, the othering and kind of the scary thing of like, if this escalates more, how social media just it with it's like, you know, really easily way that things can just be antagonized and like fuel added to the fire that it's, it's just really scary. Like it, it was to escalate more in the worst case scenario, how much worse it would be off with that. We're just like not productive dialogue is on social media and like it is really about listening to all sides we all share this island together we have a shared history as difficult of a history that is it's so important to recognize that we do and to listen to that and not other them I guess is you know the most productive thing really that we can do as people outside of government bodies and I guess governments actually you know supporting these communities and making sure that they don't feel like they've been left behind exactly and I think 
look we're one this is one podcast there's plenty of other things to look on it's an incredibly complex issue so we would implore you know there's people who spend their whole lives studying and researching the politics within the north so look we would implore people if you're interested in northern ireland politics i know i am i've recently purchased a book it's called making sense of the troubles and it's by david mckittrick and david McVie. it's a nice big thick book so you'll get a whole right back from the start of the 20th century up until recently enough present day one of the best books i've ever read about northern ireland which was recommended to me by my Leaving Cert History teacher shout out to Miss Timoney who was a woman of the North herself it is Armed Struggles by Richard English it's just it's really hard to find a book on Northern Ireland that doesn't have a really clear bias to it and it does just a great summary of like the history of the IRA and everything that happened in the Troubles and I would definitely recommend and yeah look and also like follow get you know start watching maybe more or listening to more radio or watching more television you know via the player that's going on in the north follow more journalists like Amanda Ferguson who can give you the detailed and reliable information and the issues that we've seen, I don't think they're, you know, hopefully they'll come to some sort of peaceful solution and we can see yeah. what. And it's again, like Amanda said, it's important to say that, you know, Northern Ireland is so much more than the Troubles. It's so much more than this riot. There's, it's it's class. Like the North is just so nice. Like often be nipping up down a skillin for my shopping, like, you know, just making sure that we have like an ear and an eye on, you know, a place in our island that, yeah, is like important. Like there's great stuff. Just like, I mean, if you're just casually interested in it, everyone I'm sure has watched Dairy Girls. If not, get on the buzz. Season three is coming soon, lads. Hopefully there's a great podcast, Historical Belfast, which just kind of goes into like all the history of, you know, Belfast. And it's just, yeah, just kind of, you know, getting interested yeah, in, so- in it. So that's all for this week's episode of The Polling Station. If you have any other books or podcasts or documentaries that you think we should share, let us know on Twitter and Instagram at The Polling Pod. That's all for this week. And until next time. Bye.